Hello there. My name is Alex Sloan. I'm the news editor for the Ocali, and you're listening to The Broadsheet. This week on the show, we'll be focusing exclusively on OK State Stand United. We're joined today by Harmony Nelson, staff reporter for the Ocali. She covered the march that happened on campus this Monday for us, and her story is available in this week's newspaper, as well as the Ocali's website, www.ocali.com. Harmony, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing excellent. Thank you so much for being here with us. No problem. So let's dive right into it. So could you describe for our listeners in your own words what happened on Monday? So everyone gathered at the Student Union for the march. It was very emotional. It was very passionate. It was very inclusive of everybody. Um, it Everybody gathered around 12 and then they waited until 1230 just to let more people come if they were late leaving class. And then um, there was speakers. Um, the speaker spoke, the, the speakers were the ones who organized the march um, and organized the list of urgencies. They were a part of the OK Span, uh, OK Span United. Um, they spoke a little bit and then um, we went on a march around campus and then concluded, went back to the student union and then with like the closing um, comments and everything. Could you give us an estimate of about how many people attended? I'd say it was like a couple hundred people. There was a good amount of people there. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Um, what about, this was a large gathering, uh, did you notice any COVID-19 precautions being encouraged or implemented at the march? Yes, um, they, everyone had masks on, so that was good. Um, but th there wasn't that much room for social distancing because, you know, they were marching. But I, know, I noticed that everyone had on their mask. Everyone was, like, playing it safe with that part. So I wanted to dive in just a little bit to how this march relates to some of the marches we've seen previously on campus over the summer. Um, yeah, so I would say that this March Monday was very similar to the Juneteenth March. Um, it was similar with the route. I th I'm pretty sure they took the same route. Um, some of the chants were pretty much the same, the Black Lives Matter chants. But um, at the one in Juneteenth, there were some other chants, like they chanted, like, hands up, don't shoot. Whereas at this one, um, they did, we tried, they tried to do Negro spirituals, but a lot of people didn't really know them. So that kind of got messed up. But, and then um, I think at the Juneteenth one, they gathered in the lawn, whereas this one, they kind of gathered right in front of the student union by the um, tables and everything. So it was like a little bit of a difference, but for the majority of it, it was pretty much the same. I would say, uh, the main difference, though, was probably the fact that since it was like during the school year, there was more people around and there was people in classrooms showing their support, people uh, standing on their balconies outside of um, the sorority houses and fraternity houses showing their support. So there was just like more people around that, that were able to support without actually having to march. Well, I'm sure that made it for a, a much livelier event. Um, so you mentioned yeah, there were people showing their support who weren't involved in the march. Can you tell me a little bit about what that looked like? Yeah, um, there was one sorority, I can't remember the name of it. I remember saying they were standing on their balcony, uh, having their fist up, showing their support, chanting along with everyone. And then I saw people in windows and classrooms that were 
uh, basically doing the same thing, recording everyone, putting their fists up, showing while they were still in class because some people couldn't miss class for it. Right. And then a lot of people actually, I saw people joining in after uh, after the march started. I don't know if some people didn't weren't aware of it, but I noticed that some people were like walking in through it. Maybe they had class and came in after. So. Okay, so it, so it built momentum as it moved through campus. Yes. And I think I saw, I actually think I saw a professor join in too. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how long he stayed, but I'm pretty sure I saw one join in and start marching with us. So that was pretty cool. Well, that's, that's cool. Even if it was a short stay, just, just, just a visit is still, still fun. <laughs> yeah. Is there any significant reason why OK State Stand United chose to hold another march this Monday? as opposed to, you know, a different day, the first day of class or, or a different Monday? Well, I believe that they probably chose to do it this Monday just to, because it was like the second week of school, just to wait until everyone was settled in. Um, so they had like a chance to, you know, be in their classes first before they just decided, like if they wanted to skip, you know, so that they knew. And I think it also had to do with the fact that this week was Welcome Black Week, which um, they do every year. I, I believe it's always the second week of the school year, Welcome Black Week for all of the Black students to join and get to know one another and especially like good for the freshmen who are just coming in to be able to be feel more inclusive and like see other people like them. So I think that they uh, chose to try to kick off the week with it just because with COVID and everything the plans weren't necessarily the same as they always are. So I think that might have been why they chose this Monday particularly. Excellent. Um, I believe you did mention in your story that the organizers of the march and the founders of OK State Stand United will be having a meeting with President Hargis next yes. week, correct? Yes, they're going to be meeting with him, I believe she said next Monday at 2, so. Okay, and they are meeting to discuss uh, a document authored by the uh, organizers of this march. Could you tell us just briefly about that? Yes, they're meeting to discuss their list of urgencies and in their list of urgencies it's just a few things that they believe can help make the black and brown students at OSU feel more included altogether. Um, one of their urgencies on there was just to hire more mental health professionals from the marginalized groups so that the students of color can actually feel as if there's someone who knows what they're going through so that they can better relate to them. And then who knows like what kind of ex unique experiences that they go through. And then they also wanted to have a mandatory um, like e equality training or like racial bias training course for incoming students, transfer students, staff and faculty for to be able to promote the cultural cultural awareness, be able to show students like that everyone everyone's included so people can feel more included in the, in the school. I think that that might be something that the school is lacking because I know that when everyone comes to school their freshman year or when they transfer, they have the one is too many um, training course that everyone has to do. And I think that the students feel as if, if we had like a racial training that it would just bring down the racial tensions a little more, um, especially with everything going on right now. I think that'll make it a little better for everyone. 
Well, we'll be watching. We'll be interested to see where those conversations go next Monday. Definitely. Uh, everyone, that was Harmony Nelson, uh, staff reporter for the Ocali. Be sure and check out her story in this week's edition of the paper. Uh, Harmony, thanks again for being here today with us. Thank you so much. The List of Urgencies was authored by the co-founders of OK State Stand United and calls on university administrators to address 11 items deemed to be of urgent concern to minority students. Joining us now to break down that document are two of its authors, Sean Tolbert and Peyton Doherty. Hello, and thank you both for being here today. Hey, how are you doing, Alex? Doing excellent. Peyton, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, no, thank you for being here to walk through the list of urgencies with our listeners. So I believe we're going to go through this whole list, but we wanted to go ahead and start with uh, number eight. And Sean, would you like to go ahead and explain what that item is and what the intentions behind it are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so number eight on the list of urgencies reads um, as follows. Develop and publish a detailed plan of initiatives and strategies OSU commits to implementing in upcoming years in order to foster a widely and genuinely inclusive environment at OSU. Um, so our intent with this point is that we want to see the school year, or the school year, excuse me, the administration publish a plan that they're that they're going to include strategies in and initiatives to actually address diversity issues that we've laid out in this plan. Um, and we want that plan to be published and make, make it public by the end of this school year. So by the end of the 2020-2021 school year, we want the administration to have collaborated with students, faculty, staff, and alumni to create a plan where they're laying out, okay, this is what we want to accomplish in the next five years on our campus. And just beyond that, we're going to say, this is the strategies we're going to employ. And, you know, I would love to say, this is the resources we're going to make available to make all this happen. Um, but we have a meeting coming up to kind of talk about what that's going to look like and how much of that information is going to be made public um, versus kind of on the backside. Mm -hmm. And yeah. ideally, we're hoping for that plan to encompass all the measures within our list of urgencies. Um, that is the goal, and we want them to work with us as well as other Black leaders and alumni to create that plan. Because really, if you're trying to create a plan for students without including students every step of the way, then you've just missed the point from the very beginning. And we want this plan to include these specific and measurable goals that future students can use to hold the administration accountable. Because we know that these changes don't happen in a day, um, and they don't happen in a year a lot of the time, and so that's why they can plan out when they're going to get everything done. And then once it has those specific measurable goals, future students can use that to make sure that things are getting done when they need to be in the future. Absolutely, adding that accountability element in there. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, the reason we started with number eight is because you hope that in laying out this wider strategy, the administration will address the rest of the items on the list that we're gonna go through now. That Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's just take it from the top then. Peyton, would you like to tell us about the, the first item on the list? Yeah, we can start with the, um, we ask the, of the administration to prioritize diverse and equitable hiring practices and retention of minority faculty and staff on all levels and in all areas of campus in order to better serve students from marginalized groups. Um, and that comes into play 
we say in all areas of campus because you have areas like university counseling services where there's only one counselor who isn't white. I mean, yeah, who isn't white. And there's one black counselor and there are no LGBTQ counselors. And a lot of times there are very like race specific or identity specific issues that students need help dealing with. And they need someone who can understand where they're coming from to help them deal with that. Um, and we know that there's only one black woman therapist in all of Stillwater and she's pretty booked up. Um, and so like, we really think it's important for our school to provide these students with these resources because we already know that mental health is a huge issue on college campuses. And then if we're talking about minorities on college campuses, it's an even bigger issue. Uh, yeah, and you know, I think that the mental health professionals is a really important example that she just laid out. Um, but just to give another example of why it's important to include more diverse or just like prioritize diverse hiring practices, um, we need black and brown decision makers at the table for mm -hmm. administrative matters, right? The policy makers, the people who are creating the, you know, the um, curriculum that that people have to go through, like all of these things should be including people from all different backgrounds because our students are coming from all different backgrounds. Um, and we're black kids saying that we wanna see more black people included in these conversations. But let's be clear, diversity includes diversity of all different matters, right? We need to see rural communities in, included, right? There's huge rural populations at OSU. We need to see Native American communities continually included because this university is on Native American land, right? We wanna start these conversations and we are black people saying that we need black representation, but we also understand that when we call out the university for underserving black populations, when the university creates resources for black populations, they have to in hand also create resources for every other minority group because federal law, you know, restricts the university from just serving one population. Um, so you know, we, we see a lot of we see a lot of growth with this and a lot of potential to help everyone on campus. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, um, moving on to item two now. Uh, Sean, would you like to break that one down for us? Yeah, so item two is just all about asking the university to really analyze um, the diversity education that students get at OSU. Um, and there's a lot that could be said about this, but I'll just kind of make two or three points. Um, one, OSU does have a new diversity training and requirement in the pipeline that is going to be required um, this school year from what we know. Um, we are really excited to get our hands on that training and make sure that it's something that's comprehensive and really helpful for our students. Um, you know, like I just said, we bring people on campus from all kinds of different backgrounds. And at the end of the day, we need to give people the tools to have the conversations that we're asking them to have, right? So if we're putting someone from a 15-person high school who's never even really talked about race in a history class with a international student from China, I would like to know that the university has, has had a conversation with both of those students about their identities and, you know, how to, how to bridge any gaps and, you know, respect each other and not let implicit bias or, you know, kind of any predisposed bias um, affect your interactions. And just think about it and be intentional about it. Um, it's 2020. If we're sending students out into the world and we're saying they're professionals now, they have a four-year degree, but they haven't had any racial training or, and they're not competent to have these conversations, in professional workplaces, they're going to run into issues. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, there are privately owned businesses where 
whatever may fly, but most businesses today are going to expect you to be racially competent. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, we're just asking the university to do more for everyone. Like it's not just about black students. Everyone can benefit from being exposed to this vocabulary. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, think I would imagine as America moves towards a more minority majority population, that will become even more important in more workplaces. Right. Yeah, and um, so what I was thinking about that is like, I think this also kind of ties back to the first point. Um, part of building that cultural competency like within our students on campus is having more black faculty and more other faculty of color because the thing is an educational program that is really concerned about diversity isn't going to limit it to just one diversity credit class. You should, be, have, you should have a black author on every syllabus for every class or an explanation as to why there are none. Like, People in medical classes should be learning about racial bias in medicine, and they're mm. not. Like people in political science classes, like me, should be learning about how the laws have been used to oppress minorities in this country forever, and we're not. Um, like you should be learning about that in your business classes because diversity isn't just about having these this little diversity credit requirement where people take a class where they don't really learn much. They kind of like maybe hear a few new words, but it doesn't actually change their perspective on anything or cause them to meaningfully challenge their beliefs or biases. Um, and then they come out of that class really exactly as racist as they were going in. Um, and then they come out of college exactly as racist as they were going in and they go into the world and they become our community leaders. They become our politicians and our doctors and our business leaders. And they still have this bias that could have been corrected in college with some actual thorough means of addressing it. And what we have right now is just not sufficient to do that. Yeah, and so that, you know, we kind of paired two and three together, but um, point three on the list is to require a substantive um, racial bias training for all incoming students, staff, and faculty. Um, and like, I, like, like we just said, there is something in the pipeline and there has something that was required for um, some of the incoming students um, previously in the past. What we're saying, though, is we want to make sure it's a substantive racial bias training, you know? Um, and that's not a three-hour online module. It just isn't, ever. Yeah, it's, we feel that it should be, you know, something that is, like, a, a repeated course over a period of time where there are intentional conversations about individual identity, OSU's identity as a community, and how, where we stand in the world, you know? It's important to have conversations about things that are happening in developing countries and just you know like lay a foundation like we care about mm -hmm. people we do things on this campus to help people in our community and far out um and we want to be like on the same page as far as respecting each other and just being inclusive and diverse um because the university likes to throw those words around and i mean everyone does um but we want to hold the university accountable because they do you want to do we will be interested to see how um those policy policies rather are advanced throughout this year yeah okay um we touched on two and three so let's move on to four uh, right. yeah number four is to increase funding opportunities and awareness of these opportunities for african-american students in order to lessen their financial burden and aid them in successfully completing their degree requirements within four years and our motivation for putting this is something that sean can tell you more about um, but to make a long story short, black students have significantly lower graduation rates. And part of that is because they don't have the financial stability to make it through four years of college without having to drop out. 
or make it through six years of college without having to drop out. And like part of that comes from the racial wealth gap, an entire history of their ancestors not being able to build up wealth the way that other families are. And so now you have a bunch of black and brown students who will go to college and then just not be able to financially sustain themselves. Um, and part of what Sean was talking about earlier too was state question 759, um, which um, was passed a, a few years ago in Oklahoma yeah. to implement it in the Oklahoma constitution saying that um, you can't have any state funding used for race specific causes. Um, so the school can't say these scholarships are just for black students. But what they can do is have the OSU Foundation, which is a private organization that can do whatever it wants, raise money for scholarships for black students. And we have the black alumni scholarships now, they're like $500 or $1,000, really nothing compared to all the donations the school gets for scholarships. Um, and those go to anyone who's an active member of the African American Student Association. Um, but it's just, there's so much more that can be done, especially considering the depth of the discrepancy in this case. Right. Um, and what Peyton referenced as far as, you know, students not graduating, minority students not graduating at the same rates as their white peers. Um, according to information published by the Oklahoma State University um, Department of Institutional Research and Data Management, I want to say, I think I got that title right or information management, excuse me. Um, in 2013, 40.2% of the black first-time freshmen who came to OSU were able to get their degree within six years at this university. So after spending money at this university for six years, of all of the black first-time freshmen who came in 2013, only four in 10 of those individuals actually earned a degree in six years. So let's note a few things. The average degree at OSU is a four-year degree. Um, four in 10, that's two in five. The OK State Stands United movement was started by five black students. So if this statistic is allowed to prevail on this campus, like that statistic would literally say that only two of us would be able to graduate this year as seniors. Um, and we are lucky enough to be a group of five well-established you know, successful students on this campus. And that's why we're standing up and using our voice and our privilege and our platforms that we've established for ourselves to stand up for our peers. Literally, black students are not graduating at the same rate as their white peers. So that same cohort in 2013, compare that 40.2% six year graduation rate to a 70, it's like, I wanna say a 70.6% graduation rate for white women. You know, I want to establish this. I said this at the march on Monday. At no step in this process are we saying it's white women's fault who come to this university that they're succeeding at a faster and better, that they're, they're, the education they're receiving is literally more valuable than the education that their black peers are paying for. It's not their fault. But we're all stakeholders at this university. We are all actively choosing to pay at this university and we all have a voice. We can all petition this university to better serve our peers. You know, I completely reject the notion that black students are less capable. I reject the notion that black students are stupid or any of that, you know. I truly believe that the black students on this campus just aren't as plugged into the resources that other people are. 
it's it's everything from the classroom environment you know people getting clicky in classrooms and not talking to each other it's the black kid who doesn't get put into the group me at the beginning of the semester who doesn't get all the help from their classmates um it's a black student who's not comfortable in his first year seminar class, so he never goes to the career services events. You know, it's all these different things. And it's not one person's fault, but as a community, we can do better. And I have direct proof that the university publishes every year that we are not improving, like we are not doing better. Um, Sean, so it, it occurs to me that all those examples you just listed, uh, the small discrepancies between the experiences of white students and non-white students. Those things add up over time, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know- And I wouldn't even call them small, really, because there's the day-to-day experience and then there's the, really making it out of college within six years. Right, yeah. And that's like, your college degree, a lot of times can have a big effect on your entire life trajectory. Um, so like you would think that, well, maybe if OSU did have more black administrators at the top, they would look at that data and be like, hey, we should do something about that. But that just hasn't happened yet. And that's like part of the question that we're asking is, why hasn't any of this happened yet? Like we are students. It's not our job to come up with ideas for running the school, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think that all of these small things, like just those few examples I gave you, and the imagination can just kind of create a bunch of examples around those. I think a part of the issue is that we're not talking about diversity and inclusion at every level of the university, right? We have a diverse, we have diversity and inclusion leadership, like in the in the administration, we have the Office of Multicultural Affairs, but it's not like a top-down approach. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about diversity and inclusion enough in the recruitment office. We're not talking about diversity and inclusion enough in the career services offices or the advising offices. And those are the people who are literally decision makers. You know, those are the people with the connections who know students who are majoring in X and know the companies who hire students who major in that degree. You know, They're, these are decision makers who need to just be told, you know, periodically that the university expects them to be intentionally including everyone um it you you're right it you should it should be, <laughs> when we're talking through it it feels like just like an intentional like we're going to serve everyone fairly and just kind of think through it um, they limit any concern about diversity and inclusion to the appropriate time and space right which is these like focus groups or these whatever abstract committee that no one knows who's on yeah there's a hundred diversity committees like, it's it's just all of these things that you know don't really matter or affect our lives in any way and they never commit to <laughs> anything they never set concrete goals and say we're going to do x for these people because osu cares mm-hmm. and so that's what we're trying to do different um <laughs> well that, that, that's definitely communicated in your uh, the list of urgencies and also in the the marches that you all have organized uh throughout this semester and summer um, so I, I'd like to move on to item number five. Absolutely. We talked, I believe we touched on just a little bit with that last answer, but uh, if you'd like to go ahead and break it down for us a little further, that'd be awesome. So for number five, um, we're asking the university to expand and increase the institutional support services that are offered for minority students. Um, and specifically, we're asking them to increase the funding and staffing support within the divide, uh, excuse me, the diversity academic support and trio offices. Um, so Peyton, would you mind reading the response that we got um, as far as like the numbers of students that are being served by those offices? 
Oh my god, let me look through it one second, because it's kind of long. Yeah. Um, I think. TRIO programs are designed to serve low-income, first-generation, and differently-able students. Two of these programs directly serve OSU students. The Student Support Services program serves 140 OSU students first year through seniors. Um, additionally, the McNair Scholars Program serves 25 OSU students with the goal of effectively preparing participants for graduate education. First of all, it's a bunch of stuff copied and pasted from websites that we already knew because we are seniors and we are resourceful and we're smarter than that. And second of all, that's not a lot of students. That's 165 on. students and I want to say, I, no, I'm absolutely confident that this institution has over 20,000 students. So. They confidently responded to this list of urgency saying that we help 165 students with the federally provided resources for minority people on this campus. Like it's goofy. Like I wish they hadn't included this because now we get to talk about it. Um, and it's, it's damning. It's really damning. A lot um, of it is. It's really just a bunch of copied and pasted stuff that like we already know where we would say, please increase and expand X. And they would say, you're wrong. We already have X. And we're like, yeah, we're aware. That's why we said yeah, increase and expand it. Thank right. you. Like, <laughs> and you know, um, this, this transitions, I think, really nicely into point six on the list of urgencies, which is to create a multicultural center on campus. Um, and we want to create a multicultural center on campus for this sole reason. We want to provide a central space where minority students can access the information that is critical to ensuring their academic success. Um, there's so many incredible people on this campus, faculty and staff, who care about the brown and black people on this campus, right? They're actively doing work in their own department where they can with the small resources they have to serve us the best they can. If all of these different offices, if TRIO, if the diversity and academic support services, if we had some recruitment, you know, representatives, mm -hmm. if we had um, a mental health representative in a centralized location where there was also, you know, space provided for student organizations to meet and hold events and do cultural programming, mm -hmm. what we would, would create is a hub where minority students can come and they can have a one-stop shop for support mm -hmm. and they can have a safe house. And things change when you can streamline all the services into one area like that. Well, first of all, so many of our African-American student organizations have to spend most of the funding on booking rooms, which right. is ridiculous. They should just have rooms. Um, and that's something that could be provided in a multicultural center like a lot of other Big 12 schools have. Right. Um, and the difference, like, I think a main way that this would change the lives of students of color on campus is that we currently have these different resources for students of color, but they're all confusing, they're hard to access, and a lot of it overlaps, and it just doesn't make sense. It's not, it doesn't look like it was planned to work together, but by bringing everything into a yeah. centralized space, it kind of forces you to streamline it in a way that makes sense and is more easily accessible to students, because so much of the stuff is genuinely hard to figure out, even when you're in the clubs where they talk about it all the time. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish I had learned about um, the McNair Scholar Program in time to like <laughs> do research before I graduated and stuff like that. But literally me, and I, I served on SGA Exec my sophomore year. I'm one of the most plugged in people at OSU I know, mm -hmm. but I literally didn't know about that. And that affects, you know, my ability to access graduate education. That was a awesome resource that I absolutely could have utilized that I just found out about too late. Um, and this, none of this is about, you know, expanding resources for us. Like, we're on our way out. We're, we're good. Um, but we should have been served better. And we are going to do what we can to make sure that the people, the freshmen who are here this year and every 
you know, kind of incoming cohort is going to be served better. Well, agree or disagree with the specifics of this list. That is a, a noble intention. I don't think anyone can argue with that. Thanks. Um, so moving right along, let's jump down to talk about number seven. Peyton, would you like to break that down for us? Number seven, what I have is develop and publish easily accessible data reports regarding the academic success of OSU's multicultural students compared to that of OSU's white students so that increased transparency can aid in holding the university accountable to establish a significant degree of equity amongst its students. Um, and part of that was um, we have the diversity ledger data, but it's not well updated. Um, it's not very specific. You can only get kind of general categories. It's not broken down into colleges or age or anything really. Um, and so we think that can be a lot more easily understandable and easily accessible. Um, and then they need to actually commit to the measures that would close those gaps in academic success because there's really no excuse once once everyone's at the same university, everyone should have the same opportunity to succeed. And if that's clearly not happening, the university has the obligation to step in and make it happen. Right, right. You know, at this point, there's nothing that can be done about the 40.2% six-year graduation rate for black freshmen who entered our university in 2013. Right. That, that's happened. And that's the most recent. But OSU can stand up in this moment where we're, we're addressing it and they can say, we're going to own this and this is what we're going to do to do better. Um, and we're willing to collaborate. Like we're, we hope that um, President Hargis um, welcomes this and he's like, yes, let's sit down every two weeks this school year and bang out the ideas and figure it out and really serve people and like try. Mm -hmm. um, but copying and pasting information and then forwarding it to the Ocali before sending it to us, dismissive it's dismissive and it's just kind of not what we're gonna tolerate. I was actually unaware of that. So the Ocali received those responses before you did. The Ocali received those responses before we knew the Ocali received those responses. And the Ocali was contacting us about their responses before we were even tracking their responses. So like the fact that they were so worried about making sure that they had a public, you know, dismissal of the list before even like engaging in a meaningful dialogue, which we still haven't had. It's just, it feels dismissive. Um, and they did agree to meet with us this upcoming Monday, um, which we appreciate and we're looking forward to. Um, but, you know, we want to, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Um, we weren't happy with the response at all. And that is part of why we created this lengthy and detailed response to the replies that we got, basically saying, here's where we think you're missing the point here are some solutions that we've come up with, and here's a further explanation as to the issues because you clearly don't understand them from where you're sitting. And that's not, that's not only because they haven't really tried, but it's also because they can't. Like, this, the fact is, an administrator does not have the same experience on campus as a student, and a white person does not have the same experience on campus as a black person. And so if you have white administrators trying to understand the perspective of black students, it's just not gonna work the way anyone hopes it will. It's just not how things work. Um, but you can have black administrators who might understand what it's like to be black at OSU, but not what it's like to be a black student. It's just a different experience. Like no one is going to say racially insensitive things to you in class because you're the professor. We on the other hand are not and have to deal with it every day. Right. So it's, it sounds like the only way for everyone to develop that kind of understanding would be to have some sort of open dialogue. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Right. And the university has had some different attempts to kind of create dialogues on campus, but they're closed events for a set number of people and they're self-prescribed, you know, you get to go include yourself in a semester long conversation about race. Mm -hmm. The only people including themselves in those conversations are people who feel race every single day. And those are going to be black and brown people or white allies who are, you know, wanting to, yeah, who are already doing what they can to kind of be anti-racist and address the issues um, around them. The point is racist people don't show up to focus conversations on race. It's not how it works. Absolutely. So if that is your method of starting a dialogue on campus, you are just going to have a bunch of people talk about their own issues too. It's ridiculous. And well, and that, that kind of transitions into the point number nine which is actively and consistently seek input from students, faculty, and staff belonging to marginalized groups regarding how the university administration can foster a healthy and inclusive learning environment. And since we just talked about that a little bit previously, I want to dive a little deeper on what that might look like to uh, the organizers of OK State, Stand United, both of you included, but also your your counterparts, uh, and what you all hope will come forth from this item. So I think we want to see the university build up a set of data around the student experience that minorities that, that minority students are kind of having. Um, we want to see them actively and consistently, you know, putting energy into checking in with the communities that we're a part of. Um, and we want to see them in hand reacting to that. Um, you know, you say you want to, you want to, we like what is a healthy and inclusive or a more healthy and inclusive learning environment look like i think it looks like having more intentional resources for professors to really address any biases in the classroom i think it also might include you know being intentional at like the professor level about what your activities look like how you're structuring your classroom how you're structuring your conversations are any conversations started by people of color included at all true you know, I just, one, I don't have all the answers and I want to be very straightforward. We want to start this dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, this is what I can say. And I think that this kind of answers the question well. Yeah. We are now the second group of black students who felt the need to petition their university, OSU, from outside of the university. The 4% our freshman year did something very similar to us. And while we want to clarify that we're not the 4%, we are different and we have done things differently. This is now the second time in the span of the four years that we've been on this campus where black student leaders have literally said, the systems that you've created for me to talk to you, have dialogue, give feedback and address issues is not working. Um, and that's problematic. And like we have an African-American student association and a student government association. The black people here feel so disenfranchised that we felt the need to bring media in, bring alumni in, and you know, bring in like huge athletes at this university to force a conversation with the administration. Mm-hmm. And we've all been a part of SGA and um, were you in Senate? No, but I, I've been an SGA exec. I've been a part of um, like different committees and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like we've all been a part of SGA and they're not we've all but me, Sean and Greg, 
and there are not a lot of people of color in SGA. And part of that is because they walk in, they see what it looks like, and it's usually a bunch of type A white Greeks. And they say, this clearly isn't the space for me. Um, I know I left SGA Senate because I couldn't handle being the only person standing up people of color every meeting. I just couldn't handle it. And so I left Senate and joined the court. And anytime I tried to get anyone to come to a Senate meeting and join who was a person of color, they would go to one and not want to go back. And so this is what we're saying about everyone feeling the need to organize outside of the university because there's not one student of color on this campus who's going to experience racism and then say, okay, good, I'm gonna go talk to the president of the university about this and he'll take care of it. Or I'm gonna go talk to SJ about it and they'll take care of it. Or even I'm gonna go talk to the director of institutional diversity and they'll take care of it because that's not how things work. Like the only way that we've been able to really get anyone to listen to anyone us. to listen to us has been by marching on campus because we've all been dealing with these same things since our freshman year we've all been we've all been activists before and this is the first time we've actually been listened to a little bit and you saw what it took like yeah. <laughs> this is the the second such conversation like you mentioned to happen in in recent history at this university so Right. And so it's just, we're, we're only five people like the university, like we, we felt the need to be checked in with so badly that we started this movement. So like the university needs to intentionally just check in with people and just be like, Hey, how are we doing? Are we meeting your needs? I, you know, this might just be me. And this is my perspective as an individual, not OK State States United. I look at OSU as a business. We are stakeholders. We are customers. I need some customer service. Check in on us. Like, make sure we're good. We're going ask, for this. Just Please ask care. what you can do better. Especially when most people like me aren't actually getting the degree that I'm paying for. Like, it's, I need more. I literally need more. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think that goes into number 10, which is increase and expand professional development opportunities specifically for students from underrepresented populations to combat systemic racism in employee recruitment and hiring practices. Okay, let's set the foundation again. OSU is not responsible for pervasive institutional racism in the world, but we are responsible for addressing it in our institution and doing what we can to equip our students to go into these systems and to fight against these systems. So what I'm saying is that we need to have increased and expanded professional development opportunities intentionally for minority students. That's women, that's black and brown individuals, that is veterans, that is disabled persons. You know, all the people who are at a disadvantage, literally statistically in the workforce. Um, and we know for a fact, data also shows that these kind of experiences these career opportunities professional development opportunities help students stay in college mm -hmm. they help you make money over the summer they help make what you learn relevant they help you see the end the end goal you know they help everything professional development opportunities makes a college education legitimate education, yeah really. yeah it rounds it out so much of the learning happens outside the classroom and if you don't feel welcome in any of those spaces or if you don't even feel like you have the resources to even consider showing up then that's just not going to happen and there's so many missed opportunities from that being the case right of course of course okay um 
like we've reached the the final item on our list but i do have just a couple other questions for you after after we we wrap this up but yeah would you like to go ahead and break down item 11 for us um yeah so this um item 11 um is to conduct a transparent external review and audit of osu's division of institutional diversity and the office of multicultural affairs and the diversity efforts and the actually the main reason that this was included is because black alumni suggested it to us nearly word for word as, it, as it's written on our list and because i don't know if we mentioned this in the beginning but when we first set out making this list we had about six things that the five of us came up with and then we um sent it out to a bunch of black alumni black students posted it on facebook and everywhere um along with a google form for people to give us their input because we especially want the input from black alumni who probably tried to deal with this as students and right. were dismissed. Um, and something that they specifically asked for was to figure out why these changes haven't been implemented already. And part of that is by having an external review of the diversity efforts on this campus. Because the fact is, like, we've had a lot of the same administrators for a long time now. And if they wanted to do these things, they would have done it already. And maybe they didn't think of it, but even that brings up the question, why didn't you think about this? You're the professionals. We are yeah. students. We don't have degrees yet, but here we are. I like, think <laughs> that OSU, and I, 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 I want to, I'm pretty confident in, in this statement. OSU has one of the longest standing offices um, that's like funded for institutional diversity in the Big 12. Um, that is awesome. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue to challenge the status quo and set the standard. You know, we have one of the longest standing offices for diversity issues in the Big 12, but we should also have one of the most effective. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say that we don't. I'm gonna say we don't. Um, as a black student who's been involved, I'm gonna say we don't have one of the best values for minority students as far as our, our education goes. And we can promise that, like we can't speak for everyone ever. Like even when we're speaking right now, we can't speak for the other organizers of OP States and United, and right. we definitely can't speak for the whole black community. Absolutely. But the sentiments that we are expressing are ones that we have heard over and over from other black students and alumni. Okay. Well, I it, that was a, a very good overview of the list. Um, yeah, I do have another point on number yes, eleven because I feel like it's especially important. Um. So part of what President Hargis or his team um, responded to us um, in regards to that point was to make a long story short, look at all these diversity awards we have. Yes. And what we, the point we've been trying to make from the beginning is that these awards do not impact our lives at all, ever. They don't make anyone on campus less racist and they don't make our lives any easier when dealing with racists. So we frankly do not care about these diversity awards. They mean nothing. Right. So you I just think that. And I think that's totally appropriate to say because the the award process for this is not very transparent. We don't know what the qualifications are. We don't know why OSU is winning all these awards when other student when other schools aren't. When we know for a fact that we go on campus and experience racism every day, so we just find that odd that we're like such a diversity rock star out of all the, these other colleges. I just really do find that odd. Um, but basically, a part of his response said, "Look at these awards." We said, "We don't care," um, and it also said. Um, we are evaluated by ourselves every year, and we said, yeah, right, 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 but um, the effectiveness of these anti-racist efforts need to be evaluated 
by black people and if they're for students they need to be evaluated by black students specifically because those are the only ones who are supposed to benefit from those anti-racist efforts not the only ones but the main ones and so uh, we just like we just want to find it we just want to make it clear to them that these independent affirmations that they're getting from other people within the osu school system are not independent affirmations they are people evaluating their own job performance yeah <laughs> right which didn't need to be said but it gets us and you know <laughs> when we reach out to the cowboy family and we say hey we have this list of ideas to make the school better give us feedback and we have multiple alumni name specific administrators saying this person this office needs to be looked at for its effectiveness and you know how it's operating i think that is something that we should include and the individuals in this office shouldn't shy away from this you know we're not saying you suck we want to put you down we want to take you out we're saying let's look at how you're doing let's evaluate your efficiency and see if there's room to improve and if there is room to improve let's make some commitments to that improvement and make sure you follow through um and it's all about transparency um it might not feel good to get criticized but the administration needs to own their leadership position and take it in stride. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, all right. Yeah, I, I think I have a, a good understanding of, of the points on the list. I did want to ask you a little bit more about the organization okay state stand united uh could you tell me a little bit about the origins of that um, so okay state stand united began this summer um when our friend destiny adams came to us and said i want to do a juneteenth protest can you guys help me and we were like bet and so we planned a juneteenth rally slash black lives matter protest which didn't end up being on juneteenth because of the weather but um in our process of planning that we got to talking about just our experiences the last three years at this university, all the things that we've tried to change and just been ignored or shot down with, and how many things we can still change. And we realized we could actually name a lot mm. and we could go into detail about it. And then we said, okay, this is, this is the start of something. Like we have a list of changes that we want, but we know that we can't speak for everyone. So let's try to get as much input as we can. So we sent out that input form. Um, and then basically compiled it into this more like thorough um, and inclusive list, which we've been promoting since then um, to get signatures on it um, from students, alumni, faculty and staff, and really just anyone who wants to. Um, yeah. And then the goal was to eventually come up with a plan to get this implemented. And that's what we were hoping to do next Monday with our meeting with Hargis. Um, and part of that plan also included planning demonstrations for the first and second week of school. Um, we focused on sharing the personal experiences of Black students on campus because, like I said earlier, I think a lot of these issues come from there being a very big disconnect between administrators and students and really between white people at OSU and Black people at OSU. Um, and part of how we can demonstrate that our day-to-day -day experiences are not improved by these diversity awards or by sharing like our actual day-to-day -day experiences. And so we've had people submitting their stories to us and, and we know who submits them, but we share them anonymously. Um, we can't accept completely anonymous um, submissions because we don't 
like we've seen other schools do a similar thing and people would send in fake stories so that they could expose them later. Um, but we have been anonymously sharing the stories of black students to really just show how it affects someone on a personal level. And that's where we are coming from when we walk into this meeting. Yeah, and I wanna just highlight um, the name that we chose, OK State Stands United. Um, I've said this a few times, but I'll reiterate. We're five black kids, right? But we wholeheartedly recognize and understand that for anything that we're proposing to actually happen, it's gonna have to be more than just us. And that's exactly why we did this off campus as a movement. This is not an organization. This is not a club to show up for, for meetings. This is a conversation to have and a conversation to be having in the spaces that you're in. Um, and we recognize that we need everyone. You know, there, I wanna say there's like a thousand black students at OSU right now. Even if all of us signed the list, that's not really a huge portion of the student population. Like we need a diverse showing of like support mm -hmm. saying that we want like these resources committed for minority populations. Mm -hmm. um, we, need, we need to pull from the faculty, the administration, white populations, black populations, Latino populations, Greek populations, you know, everyone off campus, like everyone, we need, we need people from every pool um, to kind of just stand up and use their platform where they can um, in the ways that they can to just say like, hey, I care and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make noise about it. Yeah, and I did want to clarify with you, this list is a petition and students and faculty members can uh, and are encouraged by your organization to sign it. Um, yeah. Could you explain to our listeners if they would like to view the list or, or sign on to it, uh, how they would go about doing that? Yeah, so you can go to our Instagram, OK State State United, or our Twitter, OK State SU. And in both of those, you'll find a link in our bio that will take you to the list where you can um, click on another link to sign it. Um, okay. And we'll have different ones for OSU students and people who aren't at OSU because um, in the early stages of this, I spoke with the SGA president and she um, emphasized how it's important to make sure that it's personal um, because they just don't want to petition with people all over the place signing it. They want it to be OSU people. And so we just want to make sure that we can keep track of how many of those are OSU people. Right. Okay. And we will, uh, we'll try to put a link to it in the show notes as well. I'm not super talented at that yet, but we will give it a shot. Yeah. Um, Peyton, Sean, is, is there anything else that you'd like to add about this or, or say to students faculty at OSU before we part? Um, I would just like to say thank you to everyone who has extended support thus far. Um, we have grown exponentially. Um, we've been on campus for like two weeks, like maybe like 17 days so far now. Um, and we're, we're really making a splash. Um, people are talking about us. People in OKC are talking about us. Um, and like, it's not just students. There are literally professors reaching out saying they support us. There are professors mm -hmm. sending this to their friends. Like people are excited about starting this conversation and really owning this next wave at OSU. Um, so I wanna say thank you to everyone. And I wanna encourage everyone to do what you can in your own capacity. And I, and I, and I say that, you know, with, with a little bit of like um, weariness because everyone can normally do more to help uh, other people. Everyone can normally do something more. Um, but at the same time, I understand we're all students here and it's not easy to be activists. Mm -hmm. we, choose, we choose this. 
um, but not everyone can. So do what you can to support us in your capacity. Um, and that's, that's all we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say this is, and I think 2020 has made a lot of people realize that you just don't know what's going to happen with life ever. And something that at least I've realized recently is that it's so important to just not let the things that scare you keep you from doing what you know you can do. If you want to make change, you can literally go out and do it. You can do whatever you want. There are consequences, but you can do it. <laughs> yeah. And so just like, if you're one of those people who wants to make change, but you're scared to really just go for it. Like there are people who will support you and be with you every step of the way. Like, and they will not abandon you. There are always going to people who don't like what you're doing. But if you know that you're doing it for the right reasons and you think you can make someone's life better by doing it, you just got to go for it. Support like you don't know you, yeah. when the next pandemic is going to come through and all the plans you've ever made. So just do the thing you're thinking about now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Some, some, inspire, some inspiring words to leave on. Yeah. <laughs> Peyton Doherty, Sean Tolbert, uh, thank you both so much for joining me today. And uh, we'll be looking forward to see uh, what the results of your conversation with the administration on Monday are. We'll hope, we hope you'll uh, keep us informed. Absolutely. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Hey, thank you guys and have a, have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too, man. That's all we have time for this week, but we'll be back next Friday with more. If you'd like more information on one of the stories we've covered today, grab this week's edition of the Ocali from one of our on-campus newsstands. For the latest news any day of the week, check out our website at www.ocali.com. Thanks again to our reporters for joining us today. Thanks again to everyone who took the time to speak to the Ocali this week. And thanks again to you for listening. We hope you'll join us again next Friday to get all caught up on Stillwater's News. Yeah.